we can hardly imagine how shocked this 16-year-old was when the angel Gabriel was sent from the very throne of God to give her a message. I say that she's 16 years old. Truth is, she may have been 13 years old. She may have been 14 years old or 15. You could be betrothed at 12 and married at 13 uh, in those days. And so we're going to be conservative and call her 16-year-old. But imagine how she felt when it was announced to her by Gabriel himself, you are going to be mysteriously and suddenly pregnant. She is a virgin. You're going to carry this baby. And this baby is the Messiah. You know, the one you've been taught since you were a little girl to to long for and to wait for. This baby that you're going to carry is going to be the Son of God. And to our amazement, this young girl doesn't say, hold that thought, let me pray about this for a few days. This young girl immediately steps up and accepts this assignment from God through the angel Gabriel and shows such humility and faith and such submitting to, to God's greatness and His will through her. And here's the actual passage. And Lewis, you did a great job reading that. So I'm going to actually read what you did in a little bit more. It's Luke 1, 26. I want you to put yourself in this 16-year-old's shoes, sandals. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her saying, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She was afraid. She didn't know exactly why the angel was there. Am I in trouble? What's this about? What kind of greeting is this? Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who has been called barren, for nothing is impossible with God. And listen to this response. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. Wow. Now I want to say that you and I have a problem this Christmas. That this song 
addresses. We have a problem. Maybe uh, we're kind of like a, uh, to use a, a metaphor, we're kind of like a computer that's, that's slow or broken. There's something wrong going on inside. It, it's just there's, it, there's something that needs to happen. And uh, when, when mine don't go well, I'm not a techie. And so I like to hit what's called the reset button. Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about, the reset button? Hey, the reset button's great because you just kill the whole thing and start it over and you get a fresh start. Like on cell phones, I only mess with the reset button. I just rip the back off, tear the battery out, put it back in, and it goes. And I know the techies among us are going, don't do that. But uh, I adore the reset button. Love it. And sometimes, you know, you hit the reset button on certain things, and I've noticed you go back to what I always have anyway called the factory settings. Anytime I have to choose between custom settings and factory settings, I'm going to tell you something. I'm all about factory settings. Well, there's some factory settings of grace. And we need the reset button to get back to the factory settings of of the joy of our salvation. Christmas, you see, is about humility. And that's why we have a problem. Because we tend to be, and all of us struggle in our lives, uh, the one preaching, all of us, we we tend to be so self-absorbed and our world within our head revolves around us and we try to get the worlds of the people closest to us to revolve around us and the concentric circles of of who else revolves around us. And basically, we need to be confronted by Christmas. We need to be confronted by a 16-year-old this morning and by a, a beautiful psalm that just pours out of her heart that shows us an incredible humility. Christmas is about humility because God himself, the one who created all that exists in six days, the one who sustains the universe, the one who sits enthroned above the earth, transcendent and full of glory, you know why it's about humility. He came down here. It's unthinkable that God would be born into this sinful world. Yes, at the fullness of time, God was born of a woman under the law to redeem those under the law. This is utter humility to such a degree we can't get our arms around. I mean, think about the greatest condescension you've ever seen in your life. That's nothing compared to God coming down here to save people like us who don't love Him and and do not deserve His salvation. And what we see in this young girl is an acknowledgement of the greatness of God, an acknowledgement of His condescension, her need for a Savior, and a kind of answering humility that's just appropriate to this humble God of grace. We see this answering humility in in Mary's life. And basically, the Song of Mary has, I'm going to say this morning at least, two verses. The first verse is, Humility is God-centeredness. Humility is God-centeredness. And the second verse is humility is other-centeredness. Right after Gabriel told her that she was going to be a child, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, the Son of God, uh, etc., you noticed in the passage that we read that uh, he said the most comforting words to, to this young girl. He says, and your relative 
Elizabeth is also pregnant. Yes, that aunt or cousin Elizabeth, you know the one we've prayed that could have children for decades upon decades upon decades. She's now in her 70s. God says to her, she's six months pregnant. You just don't know it. And what we read next after the angel Gabriel, I mean, it's like you could almost put like dot, dot, dot or a comma. She immediately takes the 100 or so mile trek to the Judean hill country to go and visit this other person. I mean, there, after 400 years of silence, there's a lot going on. The angel Gabriel's talking to a priest named Zechariah, a 70-something-year-old woman's pregnant. The angel Gabriel's down in Nazareth talking to a virgin, and a virgin is, is going to get pregnant after 400 years. There's a lot happening in Luke chapter 1, and she makes that, that, that journey to the hill country. She walks into Elizabeth's house. John the Baptist... He's in the womb six months, you know, in, in her term with John the Baptist. I'm sure he kicked a lot anyway, just knowing John the Baptist. He's probably a real active baby in the womb. But man, when, when the, the newly conceived, just in the womb baby, Jesus, when, when Mary walked in, John the Baptist just leapt in the womb of Elizabeth. Why? Because that's why he came into the world. He came into the world literally for the purpose of recognizing the Lamb of God, recognizing the Messiah, and even just being in proximity in two different uh, wombs. He leaps. And then what happens is Elizabeth has what we might call Elizabeth's song. Blessed are you to this 16-year-old, 70-something-year-old woman. To the, why, why has God favored me for you? to come see me. You're the mother of my Lord. Blessed are you among women. And there's all of this. Mary, taking all of this in, in, responds, and what comes out of her mouth right here, which is our text, is something like an Old Testament song. And it is beautiful. And it's rich. And I want to read it to you. The Song of Mary. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. And he has exalted the humble, those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. The song of Mary. First verse, humility. Did you notice the word humble, humble, humble just keeps getting repeated in the song of Mary? First verse, humility is God-centeredness. We don't understand culturally, you know, if, if you look at that culture simply through the lens of our culture, you, you 
lot of times won't get it right. We do not understand that there was a lot for this young woman to worry about being pregnant out of wedlock as a 15-year-old in Israel. Now, she was betrothed to Joseph. This is not like modern engagement. You know, modern engagement is like, hey, I really dig you, let's get married. And at any time, you can say, you know, I just don't know if, if, if I'm into this anymore, and I'm going to break the engagement. You didn't break an engagement in Israel. When you made a promise, you weren't just promising that person, you were making a promise literally to their entire family, to, to her daddy. And for you to break a betrothment required a legal action like a divorce. That's why it says, you know, Joseph, after finding out she was pregnant, decided to divorce her quietly. Have you ever thought, they're not even married. How could they be talking about a divorce? That's how serious this is. So to, to kind of be, to come up pregnant, so to speak, and be betrothed is a big deal. You know what the, the penalty for adultery at that time, the maximum penalty was? Death by stoning. Yeah, this is, there's something to worry about here. Divorce. Ostracization. I mean, at minimum, people are going to talk. And so there's a lot to worry about here, but, but what do we see in this 14, 15, 16-year-old woman? You know what she does? She turns what could be worry into worship. We, we see her exalt God. We see her sweet relationship with the Lord. She locks on to the target of Yahweh God. And if He says it is so, it is. If He says that it is good, it is. And she is going to believe Him and she is going to exalt Him. We're going to see that Mary is just always wants to be submitted to God. That's humility. Humility is, is not just a... A, a proper sense of lowness. I mean, she does say, you know, I'm, I'm, God has looked at me upon me in my low, my humble estate. A lot of times we think of humility, we just think of people who say, well, you know, I'm not this and I'm not that. Sometimes that's false humility. I'll tell you what humility is. It is a proper sense of lowness, but it's also a sense of, of God's greatness and a willingness to submit to Him because of who He is. She is low in her eyes because God is great in her eyes. And that is real humility. And she opens her mouth and the most amazing thing comes out. The song of Mary is not very original. Meaning Mary wasn't like making it up on the fly. It's all Old Testament. She starts with 1 Samuel 2, right out of the song of Hannah. You know, Hannah couldn't have a child. God caused her to miraculously conceive. I exult in the Lord, Hannah says. She lifts that out. I magnify, the, my soul magnifies the Lord. She moves to Genesis. She, she refers to Genesis. She refers to Isaiah. And she refers to the Psalms. I mean, this 15-year-old, 16-year-old goes way deep into Scripture. And what comes out is very much like an Old Testament song. Mary's humility, you see, is not just conjured up. It's not that she's just like in a bad place and God's got her boxed in and she might as well get under God anyway because God's going to do what He's going to do. No, she was already humble. That's why, one of the reasons God came to her. How do we know that? Mary was an incredible student of the Word of God. You know, one of the most important things in our lives is to decide that we're going to be under God, under His authority, 
God is king, I'm not. God is God, I'm not. I am a follower of Jesus. I follow God. And how are we under God's authority? I'll tell you, it's through His Word. We get under His Word. We don't decide on the fly all the time what truth is. We acknowledge that truth has been revealed. We place ourselves under. That is humility, placing ourselves under and exalting God. That's what we see in this 16-year-old. It's amazing the grasp of Holy Scripture this 16-year-old has when, when she suddenly gives this, this song. And what Mary is showing us is that worship is about God and His greatness and not about us. Look at verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Um, the, I magnify, my soul magnifies. That's where we get the word magnificat. That's the Latin name of the song because of the first line. Magnify, you know, like magnifying glass, you know what it means? It means to make large. My soul makes large the Lord. Now, we know Mary or you or me can't make God any bigger. Now, what she's saying is, is my soul magnifies how huge He is in me. I worship Him and He is large to me. And I need Him. And, and the next thing, too, my, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. What she's saying is, God, I worship God, and when I worship God, He is big in me. And when I worship God, my need for Him is made clear. He is not just God, the magnificent. He is God, the gracious. He is my Savior. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You realize, God's not just sending the Messiah to Mary, to be, or excuse me, through Mary, to be the mother, but he is sending the Messiah to Mary. She stands up as a believer, praising the Lord and saying how much she needs God. Very God-centered. Here's a seminal thought. The humility of God becoming a man must be celebrated by our own humility. You see... A God who is great, who has condescended like that. And then his followers who just think they're great. There's something wrong with that equation, isn't there? We struggle with this. But there's a corresponding humility. If God himself, the great, is humble in our salvation through Jesus, that knowing him, living for him, and worshiping him also says, my soul magnifies him. My spirit needs him. I am under Him. I am under His Word. Now Mary talks about who she is and the humility and her station in life. If you'll look at verse 48, For He, my soul magnifies, for He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. One scholar, Goodspeed, translates, He has noticed a slave girl in her humble station. I mean, this is the poor daughter of a poor family in Nazareth. God has chosen that person? I love what uh, another scholar, he puts it. He says, Mary was a peasant girl from an unknown family in a scorned town in a backwater area of the country. She was a nobody from nowhere, and she knew it. You're like, whoa, 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 this is the mother of the Son of God. Precisely. She's very humble. She didn't think she was great. She thought God was great. She thought salvation 
was needed. There was nothing. There were no levers of power for her to pull in her life. You see, that's one of the reasons God went to her. Because of this humility and this this God-centeredness. She doesn't hide her lowliness, does she? She highlights it. You see how great he is? You see who I really am? You see what, what he has done for me? And I want you to notice the gratitude as well. You know, you have this kind of humility and God-centeredness, but think about gratitude for a moment. When you are grateful for something, what are you saying? Are you saying thank you, obviously. Thank you very much. Um, but no, you are saying, this is something I didn't do. And I am appreciative that you did it. This is something I didn't earn. You gave it to me. You supplied something that I didn't supply. And so ingratitude is a kind of humility and an acknowledgement that somebody else has done something or somebody else has given. Look at um, verse 48. For behold, she says, from now on, generations will call me blessed. I am blessed, she says. She doesn't say, behold, they will call me great. No, she's very thankful. Behold, they will say she's the one that God gave something to. You see this? Let me read it again. For behold, from now on, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who has, is the mighty one has done great things for me. I acknowledge it's him, not me. I am grateful. Holy is his name. You know, what happens so often when good things happen to people? God's people, you know what we struggle with. We get puffed up. We get puffed up and uh, you know, God does something through us. God does. I mean, maybe it's even like talent that God gave you and you used your talent out in the world. Maybe it's the, the ability to see things and, and, and be a visionary or, or to manage real well or whatever it is. All this talent. All this opportunity came from God. And you know what? It all came from God and you use it well. And you even benefit from it. And what do we say? I am blessed. It's all God, not me. Nope. We say, yep. Yep. Once you think about Barney Fife for a minute. Yep. That's what we look like. Not Mary. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the one who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. You know, it, it, it is like Barney Fife. You know, if you've watched the Andy Griffin, Griffith show, I think he, he died this year, I believe, but that's beside the point. Um, if you, we, I even like the reruns. What is the plot of the Andy Griffith show? It's about Andy Taylor, the sheriff of Mayberry, right? But, but is Andy Taylor really the main character of... No, it's the Andy Griffith show. But we know who it's really about. It's really about One Bullet, Barney Fife, the deputy. And here's what it's about. Doesn't matter what episode. It's about how Barney is a bumbling idiot. And Barney is always more proud than he needs to be. Barney always overestimates his ability. And he gets himself into the worst fixes. Now... Andy Griffith, or Sheriff Taylor, as he is in the... What does he do? He spends the entire episode working behind Barney Fife's back, trying to make it okay for Barney. He's trying for Barney to not take a fall. He gets everybody in this little town in a conspiracy to keep Barney from having his feelings hurt. 
And what does Barney do in the end? Yep, 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 yep. That's exactly what you and I look like in the face of a God who is glorious and gracious and deserves all praise. I'm blessed. God has done this. I'm under Him. I give Him the credit. I love what Martin Luther says. You know, Luther is just so earthy, if you will. Luther says, of, he wrote an entire book on the Magnificat. I own it. And I would have read it all yesterday. But anyway, um, he says, Think how easy it would have been for Mary to fall into the sin of pride. You're the one. Tell me, Luther says, did she not have a wonderful soul? She's now the mother of God, exalted above all other human beings, and yet she remains so simple and calm, and she never looks down on anybody. But what about us? He asks. I love his language. If we come into a little wealth or a little might, if we come into a little honor, or if we even think ourselves a little prettier than other men, we begin to think we are better than others. Not Mary. My soul magnifies you. My soul, my, my spirit rejoices in your grace. I need you. I am blessed because of you. You're, it's only because you have given me something. I mean, how wonderful, how refreshing. And then Mary starts with this very personal way of, of showing humility by God-centeredness and worship, but she moves to an Old Testament kind of collage of how God cannot stand pride and He takes it down and God exalts the humble. Look at verse 50. Mary says, And His mercy is for those, for the great? No. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. What does that mean? Fear, it doesn't mean scary like boo. It means deep respect. Awe. It means getting, it's the same thing, getting under God and God being God. His mercy is for those who are under him, who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, he has scattered the proud. Look at this words In the thoughts of their hearts. I love this. Not just their thoughts. But we're talking about down to the deepest place of what really matters. What really is in their world. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, she says. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. Maybe think of Egypt or Babylon. And he has exalted the humble, those of humble estate. He has filled those who need him. He has filled the hungry with good things. The people who don't think they need him, the rich, he has sent them away, empty. It's kind of like uh, the Sermon on the Mount. You get a little bit of vibe from that. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are humble. Those are the people that will have the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who long to be filled by God, long to be filled by God's righteousness. Those are the ones that will be filled. Cursed are the proud. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Cursed are those who do not think they need anything but what they have and what they are able to do in their own lives. They will not be filled. 
Cursed are those who laugh all the time and never mourn and, and never have inward struggle and admit that to God and mourn over their own sin because they will weep and gnash. The headline on us out of the Magnificat is we're not as great as we think we are. This 16-year-old is like smash mouth. I mean, she is like popping us right in the mouth. We're not as great as we think, and we need God's grace, and we need to place ourselves under His kingship and under His word. The headline on God, He is far greater and more gracious than we ever imagined that He could be. You, you and I cannot wrap our minds around God Almighty becoming a man and being obedient unto death, even death on a Roman cross for us. God is greater than we ever imagined, and He's more gracious than we ever imagined, and He humbles the, the, the proud, and He gives grace to people who think they need Him, who are under Him. You see, this was her God view. Therefore, it was her world view. Let me say that again. This is what she learned in the Scriptures. If you want to know how to parse out the meaning of life, you don't need to look any further than Mary. This was her God view. God is who He says He is. God makes His promises come true. You can rely on God. This is his, her worldview and therefore, or God view. Therefore, this is her worldview. This is what happens to the proud. She knows that. And she opens her mouth, mysteriously pregnant at a time where adultery is punished by death. And she opens her mouth, and she, unlike Zechariah, the old priest who didn't believe, she knows it's not only going to be okay, it's going to be good, it's going to be powerful, it's going to be the Messiah because God said it was so. And she has that humility, you see. And when she opened her mouth, something like a psalm comes out. And a song that we need now. I want to read a quote from Rob Rayburn, who is an outstanding scholar. He says, I want to be like Mary. Could I just say right now, I want to be like that 15-year-old. I want to be like Mary too. He says, I want to be like Mary she was able to rejoice in God's greatness more than be filled with wonder for what He had done for her. You catch that? In other words, she's not just so enamored of, of where she got from God. She's not enamored with the gift. The gift is amazing. The gift has never been paralleled in the human history before or since. She's, she, she keeps her eyes on the giver. She's able to rejoice in God's greatness more than be filled with wonder about what He has done. I want to be like her in always seeing the majesty of God behind what happens in my life and in this world. Her God view is her world view. So, first verse, Mary shows us humility is God-centeredness. Second verse, and it's only two verses in the Scripture, is humility is other-centeredness. Other people. Mary recognizes that her challenges and her blessings in this moment are not just about her. 
They're not just about her. She knows, and she even says it now, this is about the salvation of God's people. This is about the entire nation of Israel. This is the thing that we've all longed for. I'm just a tool. I'm just a vessel. I'm just an instrument in the hand of God. Now, it is a great blessing. It is a great honor. It is very personal to me. But you know what? There's something more important than just the way I feel about this. This is for other people. And so... The last verse of this song is about God's people. Look at verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, just as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. What she's saying is, is that, you know what? This is about, this is the promise coming true. This is the covenant coming true. It's, it's happening now in the world. It's happening through me that everybody has longed for the Messiah is about to receive the Messiah and everybody that will need him in the future is going to receive him as well. And Mary shows us that our blessings come from God, but they are not just about us. This is so important. We are blessed so that the church can be blessed. Write it down. We are blessed not just to be blessed. We're blessed so the church can be blessed and the world can be reached. That's why we're blessed. That's what Mary, that's what the 16-year-old shows us. This is also, you see, a, a sign of great humility because it's not about me. Do you know why the Scriptures, and I myself exhorting you in the Scriptures, why we can go so deep into the personal love of God for so deep into the gospel, so deep into focusing on that forever forgiveness that will never be taken away for me, so deep in re reminding ourselves that we are adopted as sons and daughters of God forever and never can be unadopted, plummet the gospel, plummet the wonder of grace, plummet the fact that nothing will ever be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Do you know why? the Bible does, and why you can be exhorted to go so deep into this individual and personal sense of God's grace, I'll tell you why. Because it's not just about you. When you are captured by the gospel, when you magnify the Lord, and when your spirit acknowledges and rejoices in God, your Savior, you become a more aligned instrument of joy and salvation and the blessing of God's church, and the reaching of the world. And there is a big part of our joy that doesn't just come from us appreciating what God has done for us, but correspondingly comes as the, the current of God's working is through us to hungry and thirsty and needy people. And there's something of joy. You know what it's kind of like? It's kind of like a gift. Kind of like Christmas. I want to read another quote by Rob Rayburn. It's the second I want to be more like Mary quote that he gives. I put one of them on the city last night. I think it's the one I read before. I was so impressed with it. I want to be more like Mary, he says. I hope that we too, by the grace of God and mastery of the Word, being under the Word, 
come to feel that every blessing that he gives us is for the church's sake too. And that nothing is a matter of greatest happiness to us that in some way does not advance the kingdom of God in this world. That our greatest happiness would be to know Jesus and to make him known through his church. To be the church. To be a redeemed community. Reaching out. Kind of like a gift. Kind of like Christmas. The song of Mary. It is a song of salvation. Of God's greatness. And God's humility. And an answering humility. And an answering worship. Even in the face of personal uncertainty to come under the word, to get that assurance, to get that leadership, to come under his kingship, and for worship, therefore, to be an inhabiting of our hearts and souls with joy. Humility is God-centered. It is other-centered. And through this song, I just say in closing, may God hit the reset button for the joy of your salvation this Christmas to just roar right up to where God wants it to be in its actual state of condescending grace to us. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful that you came, as Pastor Mercer prays very often, such a great distance. You condescended. You're a humble deity. Lord, would you put it in our hearts to be able to turn our worries and even our blessings into worship? Would you cause us to magnify in our souls you? Would you cause us in our spirits to rejoice in your grace? Would you cause us, Lord, to be gospel grace-aligned instruments in your hands? for the good of other people in your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.